One of the major reasons why Indonesia has been successful is because I think there are two things, right? I mean, we have a very large population. I think almost 280 million uh, population as of 2020. And and also, secondly, we have a very supportive government who is really supporting the whole um, startup ecosystem scene. Texas Global, sparking innovative thoughts. Now, a lot of attention has always been towards Indonesia when you talk about the tech industry and the startup industry. So it is exciting today on our Texas Global podcast where we're, we're going to take a look at what's been going on in one of the biggest ecosystems here in Southeast Asia and what should we look forward to in 2023? Hello, I'm Chawarat Yong Pei, a global content editor at Texas Media, and you're listening to the Texas Global Podcast. Today, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about Indonesia, where we've seen the giants, you know, come out, whether it is, uh, you know, Gojek or Traveloka. And, uh, you know, it's just a very, very interesting ecosystem that everyone is attracted to. So it's no surprise that we had the opportunity to speak with someone that is uh, pretty much in the forefront in investment in startups in Indonesia. And that is uh, Kevin Vijaya, the director of Cyber Agent Capital Indonesia, which is one of the subsidiaries of Cyber Agent Inc. Uh, and he's in charge of you know investing in startups. And so we're so happy to have him today. Sarika, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me to today's session. Yes, I'm very excited to speak to you as well because Likewise. I like a lot of listeners probably want to know how things have been in Indonesia. But before we go and take a look at that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your company? Absolutely. So I'm Kevin. I'm in charge of handling the operation and investment operation for Cybergen Capital in Indonesia. Uh, we cover primarily Southeast Asian market plus Japan, China, Taiwan, and the U.S. markets. So I'm personally handling the Indonesian uh, market plus Singapore and Malaysian market. So a bit about Cybergen Capital. We're actually one of the subsidiaries of Cybergen Group based in Japan. Cybergen Group itself, they're a listed public company in Tokyo Stock Exchange since 2003. Uh, we, first, we were first established since 2006. We first came into the Southeast Asian landscape uh, in 2011. We focus primarily on early stage investments uh, with heavy emphasis on consumer tech related business companies. So some of the notable portfolio companies that we've got, uh, we have Tokopedia, e-commerce in Thailand, Tiki.vn in Vietnam, Kakaotalk from South Korea, Aitur Group from China, and a lot more. So we focus mostly on consumer tech related business companies in the early stage uh, scene. So cool. Um, so with that, you know, we are riding out. We are almost towards the end of 2022. Everyone is kind of tired. <laughs> I think in terms yeah. of like everything reopening, everything trying, you know, we're trying to, you know, uh, ride the bicycle, you could say again, get back on the bike uh, with a COVID-19 pandemic. Can mm -hmm. you give us the latest updates on what's been going on in Indonesia's startup ecosystem? Yeah, I think everything uh, pretty much, especially in Indonesia, has come back to normal again, even though COVID cases are still rising. But mm -hmm. of course, uh, uh, fortunately, the government has been um, very effectively handling the the, the overall cases, uh, especially the government is now pushing people, uh, especially for the elderly people, to get the second booster shot, 
which is actually a very good news for the overall economies because uh, COVID cases have been relatively stable. And I think for the overall market scene, people have basically come back to normal again. And it, it is expected that in terms of the GDP growth rate, uh, we, uh, we should be able to achieve about 5.7%, I think, uh, based on what the government estimates, which is, uh, you know, uh, better than the average uh, growth rate compared to other neighboring countries. So we're doing, we're actually doing quite great, but of course there's still a lot of things to catch up, especially reaching the level before the pandemic level. But uh, I think I would say, fortunately, this is a great time for uh, many economics to, and, and many businesses to rebound uh, again. You know, in terms of comparing, you know, the air, the time during the, the COVID-19, the past few years to, to now, um, how would you say it is for the environment is for, you know, startups right now? Um, you know, yeah. certainly in Thailand, we've we've seen a very big difference. People are really, you know, like they're, 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 you're getting stronger in terms of the small the startups and everything. But but what's the sentiment right now? Yeah, I think the sentiment right now is that I think it's it's I mean this kind of rebounds effect it's a double edged sword, right? I mean on 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 one hand it's good for the overall economies. People are basically uh, coming back to work again. Uh, businesses uh, get their they get their customers coming back again. But on the other hand, for the startups, uh, of course, there's a sentiment that there's been a massive layoffs everywhere, as we can see. Meta, Amazon, Apple, well, I don't think Apple did that, but Google uh, basically mm, yes. you know, did the massive layoffs. And uh, that's the same thing happening in Indonesia too, because uh, I think they really mi- misestimated uh, the overall growth rate uh, post-pandemic, right? I mean, they thought that everything will be doing really great, but apparently, you know, people are coming back to the offline scene again, rather than spending much of their time online and uh, that's actually what caused the overall, you know, startup winter thing, uh, so, so to speak. Uh, so that's why, unfortunately, this kind of, you know, positive rebound is, is actually a double-edged sword. For some people, they really enjoy the benefits. But of course, for some people, unfortunately, they have to experience this kind of, uh, you know, uh, winter thing, uh, which one of them is uh, in layoff form. You know, it can't be helped. I, I, I honestly think I think we're all experiencing it in terms of the fact that COVID nineteen is not a regular thing that happens every day, yeah. and and you know and and through and it's a new thing. And and it's no wonder that you know certain industries were successful during that time, and then you know there was so much investment, and then afterwards it it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Human behavior is unpredictable. Yeah. It at at a certain level, um. So uh in, in terms of of what is hot now let's just say because you know you have had a lot of successful unicorns coming from indonesia um as you mentioned earlier uh there are a lot of big giants that are still very successful now um can you give us a, an update on on what has been the industry that has received a lot of attention recently uh in coming off of you know the 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 whole hype of of online activity yeah. yeah i think uh so officially in terms of the number of unicorns there are currently about 13 that are uh publicly disclosed uh 13 unicorns as of today so of course the one that's getting the attention uh recently is obviously blibly.com uh blibly is part of the uh, now is part of Jerome Group. Jerome Group is again one of the largest conglomerates in Indonesia, and they recently just went IPO. I think it was about uh, two weeks ago, 
And of course, the IPO was quite uh, successful. So that's why I think people paid a lot of attention to that. And uh, considering that Blibli took that kind of movement during this kind of winter thing, startup winter thing, uh, a lot of people praised their uh, decision to, you know, to go IPO during this time. And I think it, uh, you know, their decision to go IPO really helps the overall ecosystem, right? Because it proves that, uh, especially to, you know, other startup players or uh, other investors that, you know, the startup scene in Indonesia is still healthy, even though we have this uh, startup winter issue or recession issue, but it won't really affect the long-term uh, ecosystem of the startup in Indonesia. And that's actually a good thing. So uh, I think, yes, I think I would say Blibli is definitely the one that received a lot of attention recently. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the, the, the attractive industry right now? Yeah, I think, um, so... It was. It used to be. It actually used to be crypto, right? Uh, crypto <laughs> but unfortunately, it's it's still within the gray area. And I think mm. a lot of um, you know, especially with the downfall of FTX, it really also affects the whole overall mm. industry of crypto. Basically, people are becoming, <laughs> I'll say, pessimistic about the future of crypto. So I don't mm. think crypto can can hold that kind of title anymore. But I think, um, um, you know, I think. Payment is still definitely the one that um, you know that's still doing mm-hmm. really great right now. So because recently uh, we also had a new unicorns in in terms of payments. So we got Sendit, which is a payment gateway company uh, that recently received a unicorn status. I think sometime within the pandemic uh, pandemic year, and also we had Akulaku uh, as well. So Akulaku is like a a P two P lending company uh, or a buy now pay later company that also received a unicorn status. So I think. Fintech is definitely the one that's still very popular among the nations. And of course, that's also related with the, um, you know, financial, uh, digital finance uh, adoption uh, uh, method that that's being being adopted by many Indonesians right now. So basically, you know, a lot of people have been really helped with the feature of the buy now, pay later, because as you may know, uh, only very small percentage of Indonesian people who own credit cards and, uh, you know, it's not so easy for them to access credit cards. So that's mm-hmm. why, you know, a lot of uh, marketplaces or independent players, they recently launched a uh, buy now pay later feature, which is have been a, a very valuable thing, very helpful thing for uh, these uh, societies. So I think, yeah, I think also FinTech is definitely uh, the start of the show right now. You know, that's that's the cool thing, isn't it? You know, um, if you want to be more optimistic about the situation, um, the one thing definitely that we got from the COVID-19 is is fintech, you know, being mm. pretty much like a champion in, in terms of disrupting, um, you know, consumer behavior. And as you said, you know, uh, uh, that was one of the talking points I was going to talk to you, but might as well talk about it, you know, in terms of the behavior of using cash. Mm. Uh, I myself in Thailand, uh, people are using less and less cash, not yeah. only because you're scared of the germs, but because of the convenience. Yeah. The, the mobile phone is so much precious now, so so much yeah. more precious now. Um, so would you say that's kind of like similar to what you're seeing in Indonesia also in terms of the easy loans and everything and, and across the region? Do you think that's what's really been going on? Yeah, absolutely. So I think so again, in terms of credit card, even though the percentage is very small, but I would say in terms of uh, bank account ownership, it's definitely getting much higher than, let's say, pre-pandemic era. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, uh, I estimate, I think about uh, 30%, 40% of the population, definitely they already have their own bank accounts. So of course, 
that kind of ownership really accelerates the uh, digital adoption of fintech, right? So, and even though Indonesia is still primarily cash-based society, uh, especially in the, let's say, rural areas or tier mm-hmm. two or tier three cities, but uh, the adoption of uh, digital payments have been very prominent everywhere, meaning that even though you shop at the, you know, food, street food vendors, uh, mm, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll be able to, you know, you'll, you'll be able to see the QR code that you can pay either via Shopee Pay or GoPay or even OVO. So it's very convenient right now. I mean, you don't see that kind of thing five years ago. I mean, no, it's you know, surreal. Every, yeah, yes, it's surreal. It's, it's, it's very surreal. I'm, so. I'm going to say, I'm going to just admit it. I'm old. <laughs> I know yeah. when the QR code came, I was like, ah, okay, yeah. it, could, it could take on, I don't know how much. And it was a lot of hype, but now Absolutely. it's like, oh my goodness. You know, the other day I was at the shopping mall, just, you know, to share yeah. some uh, antidote. Like, I overheard a cashier, like they had an error or something. And um, they said, oh, excuse mm-hmm. me, we won't be accepting cash ah, okay. <laughs> at this okay. register. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Usually it's the other way around, mm-hmm. like technology yeah, fails. Exactly. And- we can only accept cash. So that's really fun. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, so then, you know, going back to Indonesia and, and how, you know, it's always been a really great ecosystem, uh, you know, in all, at all aspects, what do you think makes Indonesia so unique that it's been able to provide that, you know, healthy environment to produce, you know, unicorns for so long? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the major reasons why Indonesia has been successful is because I think there are two things, right? I mean, we have a very large population, I think almost 280 million uh, population as of 2020. And and also, secondly, we have a very supportive government who's really supporting the whole um, uh, startup ecosystem scene. So for example, uh, the QR thing, uh, actually, it was the government that launched the what they call as QRIS. So it's like a nationalized QR system. So every bank must adopt that. So basically, you know, uh, if you come to Indonesia, you'll see that, you know, uh, at a merchant store or street uh, food, street food vendors, you'll see a QR code that's actually been standardized by the government. So that's actually very helpful in terms of, let's say, in this case, uh, a fintech adoption. And mm-hmm. on, on one thing is that uh, the government also, uh, you know, they really support in terms of the uh, incubator system, uh, accelerator system. They, they actually even launch their own initiatives, which is, I mean, even though let's say the quality is may not be as you know as advanced as let's say private accelerators, but at, still uh, that's something that we should also give compliments that at least the government is doing something real to really help the uh, overall ecosystems. But I think most importantly is that what makes Indonesia is very attractive for even even for future investments in in the startup is that we have a huge population that's uh, that's really getting. Um, more mature, meaning that, you know, they're not being awkward anymore in terms of using technology or Mm. shopping online or even using Mm -hmm. fintech. Mm -hmm. They're not that awkward anymore, unlike, let's say, five or 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. We are much more advanced right now, especially the potential in outside urban cities like tier two or tier three cities. Mm. There's still a lot of untapped potentials in those areas. But of course, something that to note, especially for future investors uh, or future startups is that the people in tier two or tier three cities, they cannot be treated the same way like people, let's mm. say, in Jakarta area. Mm. They, they do have the money. They do mm-hmm. have the income, the disposable income, but you cannot assume the same way, you know, to treat those people like the people in Jakarta area because they don't want to be treated the same way. So I think it's the homework of the startups and the investors to find out how 
how I can actually serve these people with the right solutions, but at the same time, I can also scale my solutions uh, for mm. the long term. So I think that's mm. going to be the uh, hardest answer, a hardest question that they must answer. Uh, because again, once they find the right solution, um, you know, for the people in, in those areas, I think, you know, the opportunity to be, become the next unicorn is definitely wide open. That's mm. that's my personal thought. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier just a minute ago about the, the government's role. Um, but in terms of investment, uh, where do you think most of the investment comes from for startups? Uh, most of the investments still come from the private sectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the government also launched their own VC funds, right? So uh, I think we currently have three right now. So basically, all the major state banks, they have their own VC arms as part of their subsidiaries. So it basically comes from the balance sheet. Um, so that's actually uh, one of the uh, things that the government supports. But they typically support more on... Uh, so they they do have basically in, in general they do have two kind of funds, right? So the fund that's for a growth set and later stage and the fund for the pre-seed stage. So I think they've also been actively investing a lot to a lot of companies uh, recently, especially with MDI. So MDI is basically one of the subsidiaries of Telcom Cell Group. So Telcom Cell is like a telco group uh, owned by the government. Uh, and yeah, I think that they're, they're, they've become one of the most active uh, state-owned VCs uh, in the scene recently. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, but of course the majority still come from the private sectors and uh, like like us, yeah. Mm. In, in addition to this, can you give an example of an interesting accelerator? Yeah, accelerator wise, I think um, by the government, of course, they recently launched, uh, I, I think it is, I think especially it was very active during the pre-pandemic. I think it's called the, national movement of 1000 digital startups i think that's what they call it in english uh, and mm-hmm. also but of course the uh, the private accelerators uh, the one that's been very active is of course we have plug and play uh, plug and play from the us so they do have an office in indonesia they've also been very active in holding accelerator programs yeah mm-hmm. wow cool so uh, all in all i mean you know i was kind of going to hone in in terms of what the part or the role that the government plays uh, in in all of this, and you kind of was very, uh, you know, great in explaining their role. Uh, but for those who who want to understand more about the government, uh, is, is there anything more that you can add in terms of how they the government has been promoting startups and and supporting the the ecosystem? Yeah, I think so. Uh, they do usually have what they call as the next decorn and and let's say a hub ID, right? I think so. Basically, those two events is like a meetup, uh, a speed dating program uh, for startups, and so basically they invite VCs, active VCs in the in the region, and also uh, early stage startups uh, to do a speed dating with the investors. So they, I think, they do it. Annually, last time they did it, I think it was back in September uh, in mm-hmm. Bali as part of the G20 event. Um, so I think that that's the kind of the, um, you know, some few examples uh, how they actually support the overall ecosystem. But also on the other hand, depending on which industry that you're from, for example, if, if you're uh, related with the creative industry, of course, uh, the Ministry of uh, Tourism and Culture, they do have like a grant program to give to the startups up to like 10,000 USD uh, as a kickstart, you know, to, to, you know, to help these uh, small entrepreneurs to, uh, you know, grow their uh, company. So 
Mm-hmm. Uh, each ministries actually have their own different programs. Of course, it may seem redundant, like, uh, you know, why do you do uh, separate things uh, if, uh, while you can actually do it all at once? But it really depends on the which industry that you're actually from. So, for example, if you're focusing on agriculture tech, obviously we're talking about the, of the Ministry of Agriculture. They do have their own separate programs and the Ministry of Communication and Information and Technology, they do have their own program, the Accelerator Program. Same thing of the, with the Ministry of uh, Tourism and Culture. So I think that's like the few examples, I'll say, um, how the government actually, you know, support the startups in real life. But um, I think from the VCs, uh, private sector perspective like us, uh, we think that, you know, this kind of initiatives uh, has been uh, quite impactful to the overall ecosystem because it gives confidence to early stage uh, startup entrepreneurs that, you know, what they do is that there, there's still a lot of potential uh, to grow their business. And again, um, the business that they can do doesn't really have to be just in Jakarta area. I mean, mm. they can mm-hmm. to other areas, even though they're located in small city in, let's say, in Sumatra or in Central Java or East Java, mm. they can feel confident that, you know, there is there will always be potential to explore. And they know that the overall infrastructure, including the government and the private sectors, uh, are supporting them in, in doing that. I think actually that kind of framework works very well for for a country like Indonesia because you're so as you said the population is so big you have so many sectors and and so like I guess if you're a startup you really need to know as well in terms of which yeah. one or which agency or which uh department best suits you exactly um, exactly yeah so let's talk about the challenges and opportunities then in terms of you know more in details I'm sure a lot of people are listening who either are startups or you know corporates or whatever who is interested mm-hmm. in Indonesia want to know um, the challenges and, and opportunities. I think I kind of got the gist a bit earlier of what you said, you know, the challenges maybe in terms of the geography mm-hmm. uh, the, the yeah. uh, of, of the country and, and also the, the various different groups. Would yeah. you, would you say that? What are the main challenges? Let's talk about the challenges first. And what are the main challenges right now that's facing the country? I think the main challenges right now is that I think you, you've, perfectly say that before so basically we're like an island country right i mean we have 17,000 islands so we're basically scattered everywhere so of course you know each region has their own characteristics preference and their own unique local problems and that becomes challenging where everything is concentrated only in greater jakarta area because that's what unfortunately what most pieces and most people know because a lot of the VCs, uh, you know, their office is literally located in central Jakarta area. So mm. uh, unfortunately, there's like, I'll say, quote unquote, discrimination issue. So if you are a, a startup founder who's coming from outside Jakarta, especially from outside Java, Java Island, you know, the chance of you getting <clears throat> to be connected, just, just to be connected with VC, I'll say it's quite slim because again, mm. they will just underestimate you. And, and unfortunately, that's still natural. I would say not only in Indonesia, but also anywhere else that has mm-hmm. like a very huge geography. Mm-hmm. So I think that still becomes the main challenge is that, you know, there, there, is, there still isn't a feasible way to really connect these, um, you know, early stage entrepreneurs, especially from outside greater Jakarta area to be, you know, properly connect with, you know, the stakeholders in the industry. So that still becomes the number one <clears throat> challenge in the overall a landscape, I would say. But the secondly is, of course, you know, um, 
I think in terms of the new innovation is that uh, the regulation also comes quite slowly, meaning that let's say like crypto thing, it wasn't really clear whether, you know, crypto was actually okay or not, right? I mean, you know, the government didn't really say that. So I think that also becomes tricky when, you know, players like, you know, those especially who would like to start out in the crypto business or let's say Web3 based business, you know, they're not even sure whether this kind of business is allowed or not. Until later on, if there's a you know a criminal case related with the industry, then the government will take action and then <laughs> yeah. basically say, "Hey, you guys are not allowed to do this." So I mean, yeah. that's that's really you know unfortunate for the players who have done it, right? So it's all over the world, though. That's a, yeah, that's a universal problem. Yeah, <clears throat> the, the regulators world. don't. They they. It's always like uh you know like who can we, we it's always like kind of the parallel situation, isn't it? That they exactly. really have to like you know, be able to regulate, but also support innovation at the exactly. same time. I, I, I just wanted to follow up a little bit on, on the, the geography a bit, because I'm curious, like, you know, with the jump towards technology and, and connection through online activity, um, did that help in any way during COVID-19 in terms yeah. of uh, making it easier for, you know, for, for startups to, yeah. to, to seek out VCs who are mainly in Jakarta? Yeah, I think uh, the COVID pandemic really definitely definitely helped the uh, you know accelerating uh, digital adoption, especially for people outside a Greater Jakarta area. You know, they're, they're becoming more uh, comfortable with using technology, shopping, uh, fintech, getting loans, or even for education. So uh, I'll, I'll say uh, you know the COVID pandemic really uh, ha- had its own silver lining, uh, which you know helping people to be more comfortable with the uh, technology. But I think, yeah, I think moving forward, of course, the adoption is that, you know, um, we still have a very fast, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, class groups, I will say, because a lot of people still have their uh, different preference, different mm. uh, local unique problems. So I think it's definitely uh, the challenge for a startup is actually how to actually provide the best solutions for the people. So again, uh, like uh, what we discussed earlier, uh, you cannot really assume that the people in greater, outside Greater Jakarta area they have the same problems like you do in mm. the urban cities. I mean, they have their own uh, unique problems. Uh, they have their own characteristics and preference. Uh, but what you need to remember is that they do actually have the money. They do have the disposable income. So that's something that you cannot ever forget. So I think mm, again, yeah. with, what don't don't is, overlook that. That's also in terms of Thailand as well. Yeah, you know, a lot of regions that were overlooked now are, are you know, are getting a lot of attention slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think we kind of went into the opportunities already. Yeah. <laughs> are yeah. there any additional opportunities for startups right now that we haven't mentioned? Any? Um. So you you mean in terms of the sectors? Uh, for yeah, opportunities for for in, for startups looking. Uh, let's let's go into the foreigners and you know let's take a look at people who want to go into Indonesia right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your advice be for mm-hmm. them? I mean, what are the opportunities that they should you know look into? Uh, in addition to what you said, you know, understanding the region and mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. understanding what solution you can provide for each of those regions. Yeah, I think for especially for the foreigners uh, or international investors who are looking to invest in Indonesia, I will say uh, really pay attention on the long-term game. So, I mean, don't really compare, you know, what's happening globally 
is also going to be the same thing like in Indonesia. So for example, people assume that, oh, Web3, uh, Web3 investments, you know, it's going to be a, you know, a massive, super massive thing in Indonesia. But I mean, I, I, again, I, I cannot speak for other countries uh, outside mm-hmm. Indonesia, but I'm quite confident to say that in Southeast Asia, we haven't really seen that kind of applications, right? I mean, you know, in real life basis, we don't really see that kind of application. So, you know, so that, that, that's the kind of thing. So I think, uh, you know, my quick tips for international investors who are looking to invest, especially if it's their first time, uh, you know, investing in, in the Indonesian landscape is that, you know, really pay attention to the uh, local characteristic, the local problems of each region. But I would say really support, uh, you know, <clears throat> Indonesia, again, what they need to be aware is that it has a massive potential. So, um, you, you know, the opportunities, it's wide open outside the urban cities. So I think that's really the uh, opportunities that they need to be uh, really aware of that. I think that's, and this kind of thing is really a lot, a lot of times overlooked by these investors, right? I mean, they only, uh, they only know investments that are, you know, applicable from their own uh, uh, home base, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if they know mm-hmm. that something is successful, let's say from uh, Singapore, uh, they assume that it's going to be successful as well in Indonesia. I mean, it doesn't really work that way, even though we're you know, really close, close neighbor. But, yeah, but I would know, close but different. I agree. A whole I agree. different, whole different, yeah. Uh, yeah. a whole different. And that's actually the thing why Indonesia has so many unicorns, right? I mean, you know, these unicorns, they actually understand the market. So mm. they, don't, they don't just want to be another wannabe, like, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm very innovative company, blah, blah, blah. What they, what they do is that, for example, like Tokopedia is basically like, you know, <clears throat> the blueprint of Amazon, right? I mean, they just want to be a marketplace for people, but they they, they really don't re- replicate of what Amazon is doing. So they, you know, provide their own unique style or their own unique business model and they became successful. You know, great timing is also one thing that, of course, uh, international investors uh, uh must must be aware of is that you mm-hmm. know you need to have a great uh you know great timing to enter the market because otherwise if let's say you find a company that's been you know who's doing something that's been done by other big companies then of course it, it doesn't make sense to invest in that kind of business right because again the competitive landscape is not attractive anymore so i yeah. mean that's just like one example yeah no that's that's a great example i think timing is really important. It's really important, right? Yeah. You can't just go like, oh, what three? And then like, well, it's silence. Yeah. <laughs> You're met with silence. Yeah. Um, lastly, you know, what, what do you expect for the year 2023? Um, I think I expect that Indonesia, uh, the overall market will remain strong, of course. I mean, the domestic demands, it's definitely something that really supports this kind of growth rate. So even though, let's say, the developed countries uh, expected growth rate may be declining. So that's why uh, people are assuming that, you know, most countries, most big countries will come into a recession. I don't think that's going to be the case for Indonesia because again, our domestic demand is very strong. So Mm -hmm. that's why um, opportunity wise, sorry, uh, opportunity wise, I think, you know, it's definitely be wide open. So I think expect something that that's related with, you know, I think for 2023, people will start you know, move out of their comfort zone. So for example, um, people only, uh, you know, investors usually only invest in, let's say, pure technology business companies, mm-hmm. right? But, mm-hmm. you know, as you can see right now, 
um, many investors are now becoming com- uh, more comfortable in stepping out of their comfort zone in investing in, let's say, less technology company, for example, like direct-to-consumer business. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've seen the success case with Kopi Kenangan from Indonesia, Flash Coffee from uh, Singapore. So, um, you know, I think more and more investors are becoming more comfortable in investing in that kind of business. So essentially, you know, in order for you to, uh, for a startup company to be successful, you don't really have to be doing a pure technology business, but sometimes that combining traditional solutions with modern technologies can be very successful. Again, the real life case, Kopi Kenangan or Luckin Coffee in China. Well, even though uh, Luckin really blew that. So, <laughs> so uh, but basically, I mean, you know, that kind of, you know, business solutions, I mean, it, it's it's really something that's that can be really accepted by the vast majority of Indonesian people in this case. So that's why um, sometimes you don't really have to overthink on what kind of business I can do to really become big. Sometimes, again, combining uh, all technology, uh, all solutions with modern innovations. I mean, that's something that that can be really successful because uh, what makes a startup successful is not just about the products, right? But it's also about the brand value. What kind of value that they're actually giving to the consumers? How they can be the at the forefront uh, with with their own brands. So I think moving forward, I think we'll see a lot of new big startups coming from that kind of scene. You know, sometimes uh, um, you know something in less pure technology business. I think we should expect that. I think in twenty twenty three. We well said, Kevin, well said. I think that was excellent. I am so happy that I was able to talk to you today. I, I think that uh, I, I I could talk to you longer than this. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But, you know, maybe in the future, we can invite you again for our podcast because uh, as always, you know, things are always changing. And thank you so much for giving us such a great picture on what's been going on in Indonesia in terms of its unique geography, in terms of, you know, the importance of timing <laughs> and also, you know, something that I think people should really talk more about. And that is like, you know, it's not just about tech, yeah, right? Exactly. It's about innovation, but it's also about being grounded as well and, and knowing what is the pure need of the consumer and market. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thank okay, so and much. that has been our latest episode of Texas Global Podcast. For more, you can always tune in. And as always, uh, we hope you've gained a lot of insight from our talk today. And we'll see you next time. Sadika. Texas, sparking innovative thoughts.